Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. This is episode 153. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. The title of it is, before I give you the title, just I want to make sure that you don't hang up on me after I give you the title. If you promise me you won't hang up, I'll give you the title. All right, here it goes. Episode 153, you don't need a verse for everything that you do. Now, admittedly, this is a frustration point for me because I regularly get this kind of email. Hey, do you have a verse that supports what you have just said? One of the big misconceptions that some Christians have about the Bible is that you need a verse or passage to justify everything they do. The Bible doesn't teach this idea. Typically, the believers will say something like, show me a verse that supports your idea. Well, it's not possible. It's not even wise to think you need a verse or a passage to give you explicit directives or permission for all of your decision making. That perspective is a burden we should never place on the Bible or each other. There is a more biblical way to make decisions. Now, that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. This is episode 153. You don't need a verse for everything you do. Now, you're going to want to talk about this, and I will be more than glad to interact with you. Go on our forums, and you can ask your question about this idea. Perhaps you have something else you want to talk about. That's fine, too. We've had questions that have been coming in all day today about different things. Everything that they have been writing on is important to them. And so if it's important to you, it's important to me, and we want to interact with you. We have free forums that you can get on, community forums where you can share your situation, problem, relational difficulty, frustration, whatever it may be, just get on there and write. Now, perhaps I know some people are inhibited from doing that. We get that email every now and then. I don't want to put my stuff out there. And what I would encourage you to do is to flatten it out. Do you know what that means? Just flatten it out. Change the names. Change the scenario as much as you need to. Don't put any geographical information in there or any local church information. Just make it as generic as possible as long as it communicates clearly what you are wanting to uh, discuss. I know some people are inhibited that way, and I understand, and so you can flatten it out. Now, for those of you who support our ministry, thank you. God bless you. We have a private forum for you, and it's just for our community you can get on it and ask your question. So whether it's the private forum or the community forum, please get on them and let's talk. Now, maybe you want to talk about this idea, episode 153. You don't need a verse for everything that you do. I'll be glad to talk to you about that. Now, I would prefer, before you start asking your questions, is that you do a, a deep dive uh, into this idea that I want to communicate to you. I have three articles here, How to Make a Biblical Decision, How to Be Mastered by the Bible, 
And do you know how to train your inner voice? Talking about the conscience. And then I have two videos, short videos. They're about a minute, maybe 90 seconds. I'm not sure. But they're super short. And they talk about a couple of ideas as well. And so you can watch them. And then I have quite a few show notes here. And, uh, and I'm going to share those show notes with you, which is basically the bulk of the podcast. And so I want you to listen to this. And then if you want to, you can pull up the show notes and and make notes. Make your own notes and challenge me. And then once you've done all that, there's your homework assignment. After you have done all of that, you jump on the forum and say, hey, Rick, I, I still need some clarity here. And I will be glad to do my best uh, to give you clarity but I do think that we have a problem within our Christian culture. In fact, I know we have a problem within our Christian culture. And it's this idea about having to have a verse for everything that we do. Now, I want to get into that. But first, I want to give you a few decisions that the Bible will not give you a verse so you can be free to do what you want to do. The Bible will not tell you specifically what to do, and this is a super short list. It's only six things I'm going to mention, but I am sure that if a focus group was to get together, say 20 people, you all could come up with a thousand things easily, maybe 5,000 things easily that the Bible will not give you explicit directives on what to do. Here are just six. Where should I eat today? The Bible is not going to tell you that. There is not a verse that's going to tell you where you should eat today. Should I marry this girl or should I marry that boy? Well, the Bible is not going to tell you explicitly to do that. What church should I attend And so if someone came to our forum and they said, can you give me a verse for where I should (laughs) eat today? um, No, I'm sorry. I got nothing. (laughs) I don't. Should I marry this girl? Well, no. There's something in the Bible or there's something in our training called purposeful freedom. Christ, God gives us freedom to make most of our decisions. So I'm, I can't tell you if the Bible is going to tell you to marry this. What church should I attend? Uh, number four, when is a good time to change the oil in my vehicle? Five, should I exercise three times a week or zero times per week? And number six, should I witness to that person at the cash register? Again, there is no verse that's going to tell you to do any of these things. And as you can see, there are many life situations, opportunities, decisions that you make every day of your life that the Bible does not speak to specifically. Regularly, folks will write in and they'll ask me to give them a verse for a particular conclusion that I have come to and I have no verses because the Bible does not teach, here it is, a one verse per one decision, formulaic decision-making process. There's no such thing in the Bible. One verse per decision formula. That type of formula is unwieldy. And it would require the Bible to be an impossible book to accommodate billions of people 
over thousands of years with trillions of big and small decisions that they make. In fact, it would not be a book any longer, but an ever-growing library to accommodate the decisions, not just the decisions from this point backward, but the new things we encounter because prior generations never had to think about these things, like the internet, space flight, and so-called global warming. There, We are evolving in the best biblical sense of that word. We are exploring and learning, and new things are coming upon us all the time. The iPhone, the social media, and there will be things that, that we can't even comprehend right now that's going to be in our future in 10 or 50 years from now. And again, the Bible does not speak specifically to those things. If it did, they would have to be ongoing revelation. It is those who believe in the one verse per one decision formula who are susceptible to stretch a verse beyond its intended meaning. Or they have an idea that they want to support So they find a verse to support their desire, even though the context of the passage does not support what they want to do. This process is called reading into Scripture. The big theological term is eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you read into Scripture. You make it say what you want it to say. And so on one hand, you have people who will stretch a verse— is twisting Scripture, is distorting the meaning of the text, and they will stretch Scripture beyond its intended meaning. Or, as I mentioned, what they will do is they will find a verse to support this idea that they have in their head. Now, this is a, a huge problem, and if you are beholding to, or if you, if you believe in this idea of one verse Per one decision formula, you will be susceptible susceptible to stretching Scripture beyond its intended meaning or digging into Scripture from an eisegetical perspective. Perhaps you've heard it said this way, talking about the poor preacher, quote, he had an idea and then he went to the Bible to find a text to support his idea. That's called proof texting. You have an idea, and you really want to run with it. One of the places where I see this idea, besides preachers who do it, or bloggers like myself, but one of the places where I see that one of the most common places where I see this is people who want to get married. They go into all kinds of subjectivism, all kinds of proof texting because they see the girl or they see the boy and they want to marry them. And so they go into scripture and either find scripture to support the conclusion that they've already determined they're going to do, or they uh, twist scripture in such a way so that they can, uh, they have this subjective uh, interpretation of scripture so they can do the very thing that they have predetermined that they want to do. And in nearly every situation like this, like the preacher who goes back in the text to support his predetermined idea, they will take the verse out of context to support 
his previously arrived at conclusions. Now, here's the irony. He didn't have to find a verse to support his idea if he understood how to come to conclusions biblically. I had a pastor say to me one time, quote, this is for real. If you can't give me a verse for what you're doing, don't bother me, end quote. Now, his perspective made an excellent, repeatable cliché. It was a little bit long, but it could make a bumper sticker as well. If you can't give me a verse for what you're doing, don't bother me. But in addition to making a cliché, it also tempted his followers to find verses to support their ideas, because what he did, and I, I don't, I think he was unwitting, unwittingly doing this, but what he did is he foisted a mandate that you had to attach a verse to all of your conclusions or to all your actions. And because he foisted that mandate on his followers, it tempted them. I mean, they couldn't really do much of anything unless they had a verse to support what they were doing. And that's when you uh, stretch. That's when you twist. That's when you go into eisegesis. Let me give you two examples, two of the more common ones when I was a part of, it's what we call the fundamentalist movement. It's, it's a group of Baptists who, they're called fundamentalists. And when I was a part of the fundamentalist movement, here are two common verses that are twisted out of Scripture or, or twist, twisting the Scripture to come to conclusions one of them was Proverbs 23, verses 10 and 11. Here's the verse. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. Now, the key idea in this verse here is do not move an ancient landmark. Now, this is the verse. Here's what it supported about not removing the old landmarks to support their view that the King James Bible was the only Bible anyone should read. That was a verse they used. You do not move the ancient landmarks, meaning you must always listen or read from the King James Bible. It's an old Bible. You don't remove the ancient landmarks. You don't go for these newer Bibles. God gave us this Bible, and the Bible is clear. You don't remove the ancient landmarks. Now, that is a total contrivance and twisting of Scripture. Here's another one that was even more popular. It was Deuteronomy 22.5. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. The verse goes like this. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, that verse clearly teaches according to them, that a woman should never wear a pair of pants. And it just, that, I don't know what to say to that, other than that's just twisting scripture. It's someone with an idea, a woman shouldn't wear pants. And I understand what they're after here. I mean, they're after the very same things that I'm after. Gender neutrality is a huge problem in our culture. In fact, it's a bigger problem now than it was back when I was part of the fundamentalist movement. It's way worse now. And what they would do is they're trying to combat a genuine problem, and so they would reach back into Scripture and then twist it a little bit and, and then make it and then have this kind of weird teaching 
because they believed in a one verse per decision-making formula. And there is a long list of scripture abuse because the zealous fundamentalist needed a verse to support his beliefs. But the prosperity gospel preacher does a similar thing when they grab passages from all over the Bible to support getting rich. Then there is the tele-evangelist who manipulates his constituency so he can get rich quick. And of course, there are the fleece droppers and the door openers as they put out their fleeces and look for open doors all over the place so that they can make their decision-making. It is sad, and every denomination, every group does it, and it's a huge problem. But a biblical decision-making does not mandate that you must have a verse for every action. And it indeed does not permit you to pull scriptures out of your Bible hat for misapplication because you want to bolster your conclusions with God's word. Now, without question, there are a few directives in the Bible that are clear and unarguable. You can't steal. You can't kill. You can't commit adultery. And there are a few more, but virtually everything else you do in life falls under the big umbrella of wisdom issues. Out of the thousands of people who have come to our site asking questions, we, res- we have responded to most of them with wisdom rather than telling them The Bible says you must do this because we don't have a verse for their unique situation. So we don't say the Bible says you must do this. Nor do we feel pressure to come up with a verse. Of course, there were times, there have been times, when we would say that, for example, you can't get a divorce because the Bible does not permit you to get a divorce in this situation, or you can't abuse your spouse. But most of our advice came from, or comes from, reasoning, common sense, inferences, and wisdom drawn from the Bible. The Dutch theologian Hermann Bavink He said it well when he wrote in his book, Reformed Dogmatics, Volume 2, God and Creation, page 296 specifically. But here is a quote from Bavink from his book, Reformed Dogmatics, Volume 2. He said, quote, Scripture was not given to us in order that we should merely repeat its exact words in parrot-like fashion, but in order that we should digest it in our own minds, and express it in our own words. That use was made of Scripture by Jesus and the apostles, who not only quoted the exact words of Scripture, but also, by a process of reasoning, arrived at inferences and conclusions based upon those words. The Bible is neither a statute book nor dogmatics text, but it is the source of theology. As word of God, not only its exact words have binding authority, but so have all conclusions that are properly derived from it. 
Now, that's a key statement. First of all, he said, by a process of reasoning arrived at inferences and conclusions based upon the words. But then he said it has binding authority on the conclusions that are properly derived from it. Therefore, there must be a means to properly derive conclusions from the Bible. He went on to say, furthermore, neither study of Scripture nor theological activity is at all possible unless one uses terms that do not occur in the Bible. Now, there's a lot that's said here, but basically he's teaching that if the Bible gave every answer to every question that we had, we would have no need for God or each other in our decision-making process, and that reality would tear away at our relational communities. Decision-making is a collective work where the inquirer engages God, engages the Bible, engages the community to discern the best direction to go or the best decision to make. The way that I teach our mastermind students is the four-legged stool of decision-making. You probably have heard me say this before. But the, your decisions should stand on four legs. The four legs are the canon, the comforter, the community, and the conscience. Those are the four legs that you hold in balance in order to make a proper decision. The canon is the theological term for the Bible. The question is, when you're making a decision, what does the Bible say? Now, as I've already presented to you, the Bible is not going to say explicitly what you are to do in a lot of the decisions that you need to make. And so we have the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. How is the Spirit illuminating your mind? And then number three is the community, competent, courageous, and compassionate friends. The question is, What are your friends saying? Now, the reason that I say competent, courageous, and compassionate friends is because, in my view, that's imperative. You need competent friends, or at least one who knows the Bible. You don't just need a friend who is a novice in Scripture. That won't help you. But you need a competent, courageous friend. You need someone who will speak the truth in love And, of course, that's why I add a competent, courageous, compassionate friend. You don't need someone who is harsh or beats you over the head. You can have a courageous person, but they are so blooming unkind that it hurts so bad. And so the community is a competent, courageous, compassionate friend. At least one, the question is, what are your friends saying? And then number four on the four-legged stool is your conscience. What do you think you should do? Now, I want to take all four of these and talk about the errors in decision-making. For the people who have the Bible-dominant approach, which is basically what this podcast is about, again, it's episode 153, titled, You Don't Need a Verse for Everything That You Do. Some people have a Bible-dominant approach, And the problem with that is that it can lead to all sorts of errors, as we have seen in church history. 
You don't have to read much of church history to know that we've we've had every kind of ism and schism that there could possibly be, I imagine, and they all support what they do by the Bible. And if you have a Bible-dominant approach, it can lead to all sorts of errors. I've given you other illustrations also about the fundamentalists who take Scripture and twist it because they have ideas that they want to push forward, or the prosperity gospel people who want to get rich quick, or the televangelist who manipulates his constituency, or the fleece droppers and the door openers, the people who are dropping fleece and looking for fleeces and looking for doors. They have a Bible-dominant approach. But then if you had a spirit-dominant approach— It leads to all kinds of weird subjectivism that neglects or distorts Scripture. And so you can't focus on just one of these legs exclusively because that is how you get in trouble. Bible-dominant approach leads to error. Spirit-dominant approach leads to weird subjectivism. The community-dominant approach is how we get our cliques and our cults to where the community drives everything. And then the conscience-dominant approach leads to distortions based on the shaping influences of a person's conscience. Say that a person was abused by an authoritarian father, which is a common illustration. It happens all the time. This person's been shaped. Their conscience has been shaped. They have a hypersensitivity. Uh, where they struggle with fear of man, and because of that uh, strong shaping influence of their conscience, they read into Scripture all kinds of ideas about who God is, and they have struggles with their relationship with God because their conscience is pounding, uh, also pounding inside their chest. And you also see this in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, is the scriptural example of this, the meat eaters, the Jewish meat eaters who had a hard time eating meat because their conscience had been shaped. They needed the community to walk them through it. They needed the illuminating power of the Spirit, and they needed someone to teach them the Bible. But a conscience-dominant approach leads to distortions based on shaping influences. These four legs of the stool balance each other so you can make the best possible decision in faith. The chief passage here is Romans 14, 23. You won't have perfect faith, 100% faith. And I always need to say that because some people think that if, if, if I have any resident doubt whatsoever, I can't move forward. Well, I doubt that you will ever have a, a 100% faith, especially the closer you get to pushing play on your decision. There will probably be some elements of resident doubt, but you should have uh, more. You should have predominant faith for moving forward before you take that step. This is episode 153. You don't need a verse for everything you do. Here's a few questions that I want you to think about before you send me uh, your questions on the forum. Number one, how do you know you made the right decision? Straightforward question. How do you know? Do you lean toward the Bible dominant, spirit dominant, community dominant, conscience dominant approach? How do you know you made the right decision? Number two, which leg of the decision-making stool gives you the most trouble? For many, it is the community, because so many people that write into us don't have a good community of competent, compassionate, courageous friends, or anyone that would be transparent and vulnerable enough to enter into a conversation to where they can make 
especially the significant decisions of life. And that's one of the reasons that people come to our forum, because they don't have anyone else to talk about. But maybe there's another leg of the decision-making stool that gives you the most trouble. So the question is, which leg of the decision-making stool gives you the most trouble? Number three, have you been so determined to do what you want to do that you've neglected the appropriate steps of or to decision-making? Now, this is a difficult question to ask because the worst kind of blindness is blindness to your own blindness. And if you're so determined to do what you want to do and you have an idea and you read back into Scripture to support it and you can't see it because you're so determined to do what you want to do, this is a difficult question, and I realize that. Number four, are you teachable? One of the ways that you can affirm your teachability is by your willingness to subject your decisions to others. If you're willing to take your decisions and lay it out before a community of competent, courageous, uh, compassionate friends, then you probably are teachable. I would hope so. And then number five, have you fallen for the one verse, one decision formula for your conclusions? If you have, do you understand the traps of that process? Episode 153, you don't need a verse for everything. We have a high view of Scripture, by the way. We have an extremely high view of the Scripture. But I am well aware that we make zillions of decisions every day, and we must bring those decisions up under the big umbrella of wisdom, and we must uh, know how to attain wisdom, which comes from the Lord, so that we can make the right decisions. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.